I'm Matsudiso, a musician, songwriter, producer and composer. I also teach. I'm fascinated by process, how we make what we make, why we make what we make. As a musician, I'm always learning from and inspired by other creatives, other musicians, artists, the arts itself, people. In short, life all inform the music I make. And I think that learning from others enriches not only our own art, but the arts. And why holding up the ladder? Well, because we're all trying to get somewhere and I think we build something stronger if we help each other. If we hold up the ladder rather than pull it up from under us as we climb. I'll be talking to all kinds of creatives about process, lessons learned, things that inspire us, the music we're listening to, what makes us who we are and the help we've had along the way. So join me as we climb, holding up the ladder. If you listened to last week's episode with artist Makoto Fujimura, if you haven't yet, then you should. He has incredible insight into the arts and culture. You'll know that I'm in this dichotomy of the world being really loud with all the information we're bombarded with, most of it quite depressing if we're honest, alongside being really quiet and contemplative. What season two has done for me with the guests I've been interviewing is really crystallise the things that are important to me and fine-tune where I'm going, not just as an artist, but as a person. So here are some of the things that are really important to me. Number one, making beautiful music with beautiful people to the best of my ability. Number two, building community. I'm no longer in this place of wanting to fix what's wrong. I think we all know what's wrong, but instead I'm seeking out what is working and building on that. Makoto spoke of what he calls genesis moments, that even in places of darkness, there is an opportunity to create again, to create something new. And so that's kind of what I'm focusing on. Number three, kindness, generosity, passion, love, joy, peace. I know these are all slightly lofty words, but I honestly can't see a different way of doing things anymore without these conditions being foundational to what I'm building upon. And probably instead of I, I should say we. Because none of this is done alone. So many people are involved. There's what I'm doing personally, but it's interconnected with other people and their projects. There's a lot of cross-pollination and it's global. It's why I like to interview people from around the world. We've been to Canada, the States, South Africa, the UK. We're soon going to be heading to Bali in Indonesia. So with that in mind, I want to share with you a little more of what I've been building on for the past eight to ten years, who I've been building with and how we're doing it. I've brought my good friend Ramona Harris to come and join me. She's Global Head of Language Services at Hogarth, the world's leading creative production partner for many brands and agencies, including Coke, Nespresso, Dyson. I think that's really important because, yeah, no man's an island, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that our actions motivated by our values will always have impact on others that's just what living on this planet and living in community means Ramona is extremely pragmatic and has a gift for taking big ideas and knowing how to practically implement them I run a lot of ideas past her and hopefully you'll see what I mean during the course of our discussion We come from very different worlds, but I strongly believe in working with people and having friends who hold similar values, but very different perspectives. If done right, I think they actually help take you further than if you're only interacting with people who have a similar way of thinking. I do want to stress though, that this episode shouldn't feel like a kind of uh, self-help preachy guide. 
Rather, in keeping with the question I ask my guests, what lessons have you learned that we can learn from? I want to share some of these lessons with you, lessons I've learned, lessons I continue to learn, and perhaps it will benefit you in some way. To try and make it easy to digest, I've divided things into numbered principles that myself and Ramona talk through, all of which you can read in the podcast blurb. Okay, let's get on with the show. Ramona, thank you for coming to, you know, thank you for being part of this conversation today. Um, I, I asked you to be part of this because I'm really, I've been thinking a lot about building creative community for a long time because I set up my company, my music production company, I want to say maybe eight years ago, but I've been thinking about culture and the kind of organization I want to build and the kind of musicians I want to work with for a long time and you kind of come from the corporate sector but we have been friends before we have been I guess what we might call informal work colleagues so I know that you are global head of language services at Hogarth do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're from? Yes um, I was born in Switzerland quite a few years ago now um, <laughs> However, my dad's German, so my dad grew up in Berlin, then met my mum and he settled in Switzerland, so that's where I grew up. But I kind of grew up in a bilingual context, if you want. Mm -hmm. Um, And so languages was always a really big part of my life. Um, And so I studied translating Mm -hmm. and interpreting into English and French because German's my native. Fell in love while I did my exchange year here in London. Mm-hmm. Rushed home to finish my studies and came back and I've been here ever since. And um, yeah. You know, I guess, so I should backtrack and say that I think when it comes to people's quote unquote success stories, people always talk about their success when they're successful. Um, not when they're trying to make ends meet and trying to make sense of things. And um, yeah. I really wanted to share th- this part of the journey when I feel like I'm right in the middle of things. And you have been yeah. someone that has been so instrumental in helping frame some of the ideas that I have. So, you know, we are friends first. I, You know, I don't yeah. come to you for languages, but we definitely talk about you're extremely practical. You're really good with sort of um, when it comes to money. You know, you, we've had this conversation before where I'm like, I've been asked to do this. How much do I ask for? How much do I, you know, how much should I how much should I pitch for? And, yeah. and that's something we talk about creating community all the time. So the very I thought what would be a nice thing to do is um I've come up with sort of a few points that I think are intrinsic to building creative community. And I thought that we could talk about that together, given, you know, you're coming from one angle and I'm coming from another. So I, my first point I always say is, well, what are you trying to build knowing your why? And I know that, for example, in the music industry, I've always felt, especially in London, that people tend to, because it's so, I guess, in many ways, unregulated, people kind of tend to think about themselves and it's a bit crabs in a barrel. I've worked with people that will say, look, I'll I'll do this gig for you, but if I get another offer, I'm going to, you know, ditch your gig, even if it's the day before or the same day for a better offer. That's a really, really common thing. You know, there's this common misconception with musicians that um, 
well, you know, if you love the arts, then you shouldn't get paid for it. Like we all just live off air and the love of what we do. And so people aren't paid well or there's huge disparities around what people are paid. And I, I, I actually tell the story in the first series of the podcast about how Holding Up the Ladder came to be and how I did this gig in this really, really fancy festival that was like an 80 quid a day festival, black tie thing. And we weren't paid and we were treated like like the help. I mean, it was it was funny thinking back on it, but I realised I didn't know how to self-advocate. And at the time, I remember Sting was headlining and an, an opera singer, Catherine Jenkins. And I remember thinking, these people are not playing here for free. Um, and I remember thinking, if I get to any place of influence, I really want to be someone that keeps the door open for anybody coming up, coming up behind me kind of thing and just really creating a space of support. And that is what this podcast is about. And it's how I try to live my life. And so my why when it comes to making music has I've always wanted to create family and create a community of people that we get on together that people we want to make great music but people feel valued and they know that if they're going to come and do a gig with me that you know if I don't have the money at least everyone will get paid something nominal or you know that I just I just want people to feel respected and valued that it's their gift and it's their time and you know and that's really what I've sought to create from the very very beginning so I don't know what you think about that. I think it's crucial to know your why um, because otherwise you don't know what you base your decisions on Mm. Um, and I think it's the same with you know what do you want to achieve with your life Mm. kind of there has to be a purpose to it and that purpose can change and evolve and grow or be thrown over um but I think it's important to know what you're doing um serves serves the purpose and there's a reason why you're making the choices that you're making because ultimately everything's a choice and I think without knowing your why you can't make good decisions and it's funny because I I feel like you're someone that you really even though you're obviously not in the music industry you know you look after a really big team I can't how big is your team that like you're you oversee uh it's just over 20 directly but overall just about 260 across the globe yeah so you're kind of overseeing all of those people and I suppose the principles of how we value people, it kind of doesn't necessarily have anything to do with music necessarily. It's not. It's more about what your values are. I guess about, yeah, but also what spurs you on, I think, mm. why you're doing what you're doing. Mm. And I think you, you, you said it really well when you said, you know, you want to make space for the ones that come after you that are maybe somewhere below you on the ladder and I think you know in in business I might have got to the top but that still means I need to make space for the ones coming after me because I won't be here forever Mm. Um, and to me it's really important to to know who's who's below me in a way and particularly with my immediate team like I think it's every manager's job to know every single person's kind of aspirations and their whys because Mm. that will kind of inform how to do their job. Mm. 
mm. and and to what extent they they can excel and where I can provide them with opportunity yeah that's it's it's really interesting because I'm just um I, I'm thinking about also that especially with music and in creative industries yes talent matters but there are so many talented people I mean like so many brilliant people but I know that the people that have held if you like held up the ladder for me have been people that they have made a way for me like I have got where I've gotten and which I'm not like I'm not saying I've like arrived I mean far 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 from it but people who are ahead of me have opened the door for me they've given me their contacts they've they've trusted in my I guess my skills and so it's this they have I guess known their why and they've kept the door open for me so that I can keep the door open for others because I I guess this stuff just doesn't work otherwise and I think people tend to it really does help to work with people that you like not just people that are really skilled it really does and so if everybody's sort of on the same page and has similar values in fact my the guy that um, um plays bass with me really wonderful human being and he said he you know he's a session musician and he can play anything and he yeah. says he struggles to play with people that he he doesn't get along with as people he has to okay. like so he can play anything you know he doesn't turn down work if he doesn't particularly like the person but he finds it very difficult to play with people that he doesn't connect with. That's interesting because I think <clears throat> I think if you're a professional, I would say you have to be able to do any gig, really. But I do think there is a lot of value in getting along with people because it changes the dynamic mm-hmm. um, of a setup. Like I work with some people that personally I'd probably never choose to hang out with just because their values really don't align with mine. But there has to be a level of, like, we need to be able to put some of that aside to get a job done, mm-hmm. um, whether that's, you know, get through a gig or get a project delivered. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it takes away some of the joy or some of the, yeah, the enjoyment that you get out of doing something in a collaboration Mm-hmm. Um, because it becomes mechanical. Well, that moves me nicely on to, I want to talk about number two, valuing the people you work with and what that looks like. What does it look like for you? Um... A bit like I said, for me, it's important I know what motivates my team. Mm-hmm. I want to know, you know, what's their main driver, what's their most important value. And for some people, they're in a job because they want money. For others, they they see it as a stepping stone for something else and they want to have the exposure. Um, for some people, it's the title. Mm. And it's kind of my job to know what it is, what drives them, Mm. and to then provide opportunity for them. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of my way of valuing their why, Mm -hmm. I guess. And, you know, sometimes that can be as small as I take on board how they like to be managed. Mm. I have a particular style how I manage, um, but that doesn't really work with everyone. Some people don't like my 
direct approach um, and they really struggle if they ever get called out in front of the rest of the team so I make a point of valuing where they are and I give them feedback in private Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I obviously fight for them to get paid what I think they deserve and where they're at Mm -hmm. and sometimes it also means letting go of people because I can't like in business sometimes someone's dream doesn't really match with what the business has on offer at any given point and so you know sometimes you have to let go of people and that's hard and inconvenient but I think even in that you can kind of value where they want to be and appreciate that maybe you're not the person or the business that can give them that Mm, mm, mm. and it's it's interesting because um if I think about like music because I I feel there's been so much not disvaluing is not a word undervaluing is not even a word just non-valuing of people for for me I remember like one of the principal things was paying people what they ask for or at least being up front from the very beginning so um if people are like well this is what I charge I'm like well okay you know this is this is what I have in my hand I don't have any more than this and if they're not okay with it that that's fine because I think, like I said, because in the in the creative arts, there's this idea that people shouldn't be remunerated for something that they love doing, as if we're all sort of doing charity work. So for me, yeah. paying people is a real sign of saying I value you, even if it's even if it even if it's a token. But I really think I really for me, it's really important to be very upfront about all of that stuff. And I find just thanking people is a big thing like if I I've made mm. a made it a habit if I do gigs I always contact the venue afterwards to say thank you whether or not they reply it's just my way of sort of saying thank you and just I'm trying to say look I value you and mm. in the same time what I'm asking for in return is that if we're going to play music know your music and turn up on time because turning up on time really matters to me and you know musicians have a notorious we've had this notorious reputation I mean I used to I remember once I must have been in my 20s early 20s and um, because all the musicians I was around they were just always late they just rocked up late and so I just thought oh I'll do the same and I, I had this gig being a backing singer and I just rocked up to the rehearsal. I don't know, maybe an hour or so late, whatever I felt like doing. And my friend at the time who got me the job, he was the drummer. He took me aside and was like, it does not work like that here. You better turn up on time. Even if everyone turns up late, you turn up on time. And it was one of those um, smacks on the wrist. But he was yeah. just like, this is a job, man. You don't like, if you have a, um, like a nine to five job, if I was working at Hogarth, I don't just rock up when I feel like it. I wouldn't, you know, I'm not the CEO. So, you know, so that thing of just creating, like I say, being on time. And for some people, it doesn't matter. If everyone doesn't mind turning up late, then that's fine. But for me, it matters. And the people I work with, it matters. And then the other thing I like to say is be kind to people. And um, I always say, is, you know, treat people like you want them want to be treated Mm. um so I have this little tradition of um rehearsals for example we have like sometimes your rehearsals are late at night and so I always bring food it's my way of saying I appreciate you exactly exactly so people know like and I and I'll bring things that I know like my drummer loves biscuits and then the sax (laughs) (laughs) I know it's silly but he does 
It's like he's sure he, it's not bribes. <laughs> yeah, it, it listen, <laughs> I should say it's a mixture of bribes and it, it's sort of it's half bribery, half I appreciate you. But I'm like, if you're mm. trying to play and you're really hungry, it's really distracting. Yeah. And it's it's yeah. a really small thing, but I'm just saying, okay, well, I'm going to feed you because I know that if you're hungry, if you're not going to concentrate and I need us to concentrate. And, and also because, like I said, there are so many talented people in the music industry that you have to have something else that stands out. And I remember hearing actually um, Susan Rogers was talking about Prince and he had created this, you know, he was a young man that was a genius. And there were some people, there was one particular person in his band that wasn't as amazing as the others, but they were trying to nurture him as the band was mm. growing and because they were trying to build relationship. And so I think sometimes it's not always about the best musicians. It's about what are you trying to create? Again, knowing your why. And I feel like you can feel... When people connect with each other, that's when the music becomes special because it's not just about skill. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that because I also, I mean, I see that with my team. Mm. Trust is really important and valuing each other and and that creates something that goes way above and beyond skill set mm. and what someone's capable of doing because if they trust you and if they you know if they feel valued they might not have the skills just yet but they're willing to go the extra mile Mm. like in my team I don't have to ask anyone to work overtime because Mm. it's just understood that we will do this for each other and that's become even more apparent now in this pandemic where you know we all work from home and people have to like nip out to get some stuff done or go to appointments every now and then and there's never a question of oh where is so-and-so? Why is he not online? Or where's she gone now? She's been on a break for like two hours. There's, <laughs> there's not even a discussion around people's presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there is also no expectation as in, you know, if I send an email at 10 p.m. in the evening, I don't expect my team to answer because I'm working at 10 because I had to go and pick up my kids at 3.30. Mm. And I've only just got back online. And And I think that's part of the kind of culture that I try to cultivate within my team. Mm. Um, But just coming back to what you said about getting paid, obviously value is very often associated with like money Mm. and remuneration. And I remember when I finished my studies, I had so many people going, oh, can you just translate this for me? Or do you mind um, writing this in English for me? Or... uh, I even had like organizations from my wider circle who asked me to translate um, a newsletter for them every month for mm-hmm. free. Mm. And I did it for a while. And then I realized I was getting really resentful mm. because, because it cost me something. It wasn't yeah. a massive effort, but it was time time that I could have spent doing something else and time that wasn't my own and so there was a point where I remember sitting in front of my computer and doing this translation and being really upset Mm. and I'm going this is it I'm not going to do this anymore I'm going to start charging and even if it's kind of a symbolic Mm. five quid Mm. I want people to understand that this is costing me something and 
I remember when I had the conversation with that organisation whose newsletter I was doing every month. They were really sweet. They weren't just, they hadn't thought about it. They just thought there is someone there and this is kind of what we do and we need some help. And they asked me for a price and I had no idea and I said something and they doubled it. And every year for Christmas, I got a massive hamper on top of that. And it just made me think, you know, that's how I want to treat people. And to be very honest, like in my role in Hogarth, that's not always been possible just because at the end of the day, I'm not holding the purse strings. Mm -hmm. But I will always try and financially be as fair and generous as Mm -hmm. that's possible. It's funny, you're just reminding me of that story, just reminds me about also knowing how to self-advocate. Um, I, I, I did a, an interview um, that will come out at some point where I interviewed all these different women in the music industry. And one of the things that is yeah. very common, and I know it's not just indicative to the music industry, but people, women is, is specifically in this context, not knowing how to name their price and feeling bad to name a price. And I think when, particularly in creative spaces, where also as a musician, it's really important to keep playing. Playing is how you get practice. And yeah. um, um, Sorry, practicing is how you improve and playing with people is a form of practice. It's different to yeah. just playing by yourself. And sometimes the desire to improve um, as a musician you kind of think of that more than actually I need to be remunerated for something. And so you forget almost to ask. And then you get sort of, you're kind of stuck where you're like, well, I do actually need to be paid for this, but then not even knowing how much to ask for. And learning to self-advocate took me so, so long because actually part of valuing people is valuing yourself. And, you know, this is something I was actually having a discussion with someone else Um, You know, a lot of the times I have forfeited payments so that I can pay the people I work with better. And um, I actually I'd be interested to know what you think about that, because I know people who have said that's absolutely ridiculous. But because I have in my mind, I'm trying to build this thing, this thing about not just about great music, but great relationships. And that is my driving force when I choose to not pay myself. Um, I'd be int- yeah, I'd be interested to know what you what do you think about that? Do you tell people that you don't take any payment for yourself? No, I don't. Rarely, rarely. I, yeah, no, 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 I don't. Because hmm. obviously, from a business point of view, that's that's not good for you, <laughs> but it's bad, good for bad, the people you work with. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I can see why someone would say that's not really financially savvy. Mm-mm. But I think from a reputation and creating culture point of view that makes sense to me because you know I I do believe you reap what you sow and if you teach appreciation and if you show appreciation I I'm convinced that that will come back to you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if you if you yeah if you work hard I mean I'm just thinking while I'm talking Mm. I I got a really big promotion into this role that I'm doing now last year and I'm very conscious that that's not based on the merit of the two years prior to that because I'd come back from maternity leave and I really wasn't coping well. Mm. I had lots of changes in my personal life mm. and yet I was offered this role mm. um, when my manager left and that's not on the merit of the two years. That's mm. on the merit of the reputation that I had built for myself before that. 
Mm. And so I think one of the things that always say to my guys is like, it's a long race and you have to be in it for the long run. Patience does pay off. It's not always easy, but I think particularly in, in you know, the generation in the workforce now, like the younger generations, for them, like instant gratification, having everything at their fingertips, move, 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 hmm. um, change, change, change. Like I look at the CVs and anyone, like there's very few people who've been in a place longer than a year or two. Wow. Um, and so I think it's a reflection of our time, but I also think, you know, there is a lot of value in being in it for the long run and building something and building it well. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's something that we often forget, like building something really well and laying really good foundations. It takes time. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen overnight. And I think it's good to, you know, think ahead and, and plan and sometimes we have to be mindful not to become totally inflexible Mm. but I I do think that it's important to value building foundations and and slow growth yeah and and I think that that was always my rationale I thought I really want to create solid relationships with people Mm. um not as a because I want long-term relationships because that's what I knew I wanted to build I want to build family through music essentially um and also I always I always tell this story because it's kind of the reason I'm a musician and it's kind of what I call the principle of paying it forward but when I was I think I might have been 11 so I had a piano teacher that was a my primary school piano teacher and then but I wasn't, to be honest, she wasn't that great. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, and um, or yeah, well, I wasn't really progressing with her. Anyway, my mum found somebody else and she was this very sweet little Jewish South African lady called Salome Benis. And um, for whatever reason, she saw that I had some talent. And at the time, you know, my, um, my parents split off and my mum couldn't afford to pay for three kids piano lessons, like private piano lessons is a pricey thing and my teacher Salome paid she said bring bring your kids for free and she saw some kind of talent in me and she said that I'll teach your kids for free and she taught me for free for I don't know maybe maybe the age of 14 upwards and you know she taught me up until she died I remember she taught me on the Monday and died on the Wednesday like that is how our relationship was (laughs) you know we really She became um, this lady that I'd walk with her to the doctor's appointments and help her with Mm. carrying stuff. But I know that if I do not know if I would have been would be a musician if it weren't for her. She saw something in me and she's truly the best teacher I ever had. She's someone that always made me feel I could do anything. She taught me how to listen, which I think is a fundamental thing when it comes to playing. And so that always stuck in my head that somebody saw something and mm. sewed into my life and I now feel like I have a responsibility to sew into other people so I mean even when it comes to teaching music there are people that you know I if I see some talent and I know that they cannot afford it I mean for me I do slightly differently so I'm like I always say you have to pay something nominal like even if it's a pound because that's all you can afford I think giving something is a sign that you're like this yeah. this is what yeah. I'm valuing this thing but because I am, I have been a direct beneficiary of someone pouring into me 
at a cost to themselves, you know. Um, and even I would say at a time when I didn't really yeah. appreciate yeah. the value of what she was doing, you know, I mean, she was not cheap, extremely good teacher. And, you know, she did this for years. And so this idea of I kind of having the keeping the big picture in my head has been why at mm. times I'm like, no, I'm not going to take money for this um, or I'm going to take less for this because I really care about relationship. That That's changing now in terms of what I charge for things and and it depends who the if like if it's a corporation I don't I don't think in the same way but if it's an individual or a young a family and they don't have a lot of money but they have a a kid that is is gifted at piano I'm not going to I'm not I I rarely 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 turn people away but yeah I think it's interesting because you never know what your investment yields. I mean, in, in business, you know, there are some things that are very clear. You get X amount of clicks. This is your return on investment. But mm. in terms of people, you just don't know. And I I remember a few years ago. So when, when I moved to London, I was 25. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was heavily involved in doing youth work. Mm-hmm. and there was this one girl and she was just I don't know she was so difficult she was such a piece of work and the amount of times I went home and cried to my boyfriend and went like I don't know what to do with her anymore mm-hmm. I don't know whether there's anything that I'm saying whether that is going in and you know mm-hmm. and and as a team we invested so much in her met with her parents met with you know her siblings really tried to sew into that family mm. and she she did her GCSEs and disappeared off the radar and we were all like oh well that's that's that then mm. um and then a few years ago she tagged me in a post on Facebook mm-hmm. and it turned out she'd finished her studies she'd started her own business she was doing quite well mm. and she was like this young quite well-rounded woman Mm, who'd really got out from where she'd been and she tagged us youth workers and she said if I just really want to acknowledge publicly that if it hadn't been for those people sewing into me all those years ago I wouldn't be here Mm. and I wouldn't be in this place Mm. and for me it was such a such a lesson Mm -hmm. that it's always worth investing it's always worth paying it forward whether that's financially or with something else that you can do um, that will cost you something because you never know what might happen. And for me, it's also become a bit of a guiding principle with my own children, obviously, because um, the fruit of your parenting doesn't always become obvious straight away. Mm. Um, But also how I kind of want to invest in people in my team. Like I want to be really, really generous and I want to be generous with my time. I want to be generous with my advice. So, for example, on Friday, I had a chat with someone in my team who I hadn't really spoken to properly in a couple of months. And he's a really young guy. He's, I don't know, 20, 24. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was struggling with some stuff. And I, I suddenly remembered. And so I dropped him a message and I said, how are you doing? And how are you doing with that? Because mm-hmm. he'd confided in me at some point. And mm-hmm. so we ended up chatting for nearly an hour and 
it was it was way into my evening and you know my kids weren't here and I'd been looking forward to just chilling but actually mm. I really wanted to take that time and um he sent me a note on the weekend and said oh, I really enjoyed our chat thank you so much for taking the time mm. and so I'm I'm all for paying it forward definitely definitely and what about, um, I like to call, these, these are my little titles that I make up, but the principle of, <laughs> the principle of reciprocity. What do you think about that? Um, well, how would you define that? Well, I, th- I, th- I think for me, that's the you reap what you sow. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, that might not always be money. I mean, it'd be nice if we all ended up rich. But, <laughs> um, but I you know, we've been talking about this at length over the years. Like, I absolutely believe in exchanging goods or trading skills or, yeah, if the, if there's no money, then I think that's the, that's the way forward. And, and if, if both people feel valued, then it can even be uneven in some way. Mm. Mm. As long, as long as, people feel that they have been respected and their commitment has been honored I don't think everything has to be about money and I actually find that quite frustrating Hmm. Um, why why do you find it frustrating I was just thinking I find it frustrating in terms of business sometimes because business has been really difficult this year obviously Hmm. Um, and so we have been under a lot of pressure to cut costs um, which inevitably in business speak means lower your headcount, make redundancies. Mm. And I I think sometimes that there's a place for that, but generally I think it's not really the right way to go about. I think it's more important to look at how we're doing things and whether there's a better way and also whether the people are placed in a role where they can actually bring their A game. Mm. Um, and so sometimes yeah in business that can be frustrating and if you if you're just told that this is the way it has to be and a lot of the soft skills get ignored or the Mm. the experience and also people's commitment Mm. yeah and it's funny because um I've been reading this really interesting book by this venture capitalist it's called the impact capitalism by Sir Ronald Cohen and it's really just talking about new ways to measure businesses and growth so you know before it's always just been the bottom line make this much money this is how you know what our sales are but he's talking about that businesses have different kinds of impact environmental impact for example particularly in this the instance he was talking about was environmental impact or like it could be how much waste there is from say coca-cola and he was saying that the way we measure business needs to change uh, like it's not it's not just the bottom line to so say for example someone like coke makes billions a year in their you know in profit but actually their environmental impact costs also billions. When you offset it, you realise they're not making as much money as they think um, because the impact is negative to the planet. Or it could be positive impact that by doing some kind of, having some kind of organisation, you're helping, say, I don't know, with young offenders, you're helping reduce the amount of crime because these young people are getting into jobs. And it's, Mm. it's, you know, and so I think even how we measure businesses success and things like that how we measure success in and of itself 
um, might need to change. And I think, say, for example, you we also think about impact as reciprocity. So that time that you spent with one of your colleagues and just finding out about him or encouraging him, him in certain areas of his life, that is you're putting something into him that's having at some stage, you hope, a measurable positive impact. And so mm. with what, again, coming back to what I'm trying to do, I'm hoping that in the long run, what I'm doing is having some kind of measurable positive impact so that if I might not be making loads of cash now, eventually it it translates into, I don't know, jobs for somebody will come and see our band play and they hear the, hear the sax player and think, oh my gosh, I want him to play for this so he now has he gets new more work or they hear somebody else in the band play and think oh do you know anybody that can come and play I don't know bass for me and so for example with us um, I've known the sax player for years and he has a high life band Um, the bass player he came and, and joined and he can honestly play anything so now he plays in the sax player's high life band the bass player's girlfriend is a violinist amazing she has a quartet because um and because of that I now they played on my music so we've created some kind of impact it hasn't turned into loads of money but it's definitely turned into opportunity and with opportunity that we're hoping means great music so sometimes I think it might also be us rethinking how we measure value and what value is yeah I I agree and I I think I was looking up um, the definition of value earlier mm. so I was interested and it's um, there's two main ones one is value is principles or standards of behavior mm. which I thought was really interesting so one's judgment of what's important in life and then the other one is the regard that something is held to deserve so the importance mm. the worth or mm. the usefulness of something and that it really struck me the word usefulness Mm. um because it's for me personally I often associate value with importance or or worth Mm. um but the usefulness of it I think that's that's really important too it's not just financially it's not just morally it's not just maybe emotionally but quite practically is it useful Mm. does it help me Mm. does it support me in any way Mm. um and then it, it gets value from that. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting because it's just, obviously I've been doing this podcast and I've been interviewing lots of very interesting people in the midst of a lockdown and US elections and, you know, race riots. Well, I don't say race, protests mm-hmm. against racism and all these different things. And it's really got me pondering what is important or yeah. perhaps maybe crystallise what I already valued. You know, what was what I consider useful or what I think of as important. And one yeah. of the people I interviewed, I think well, I think it was last week, he was just saying that the arts um, is different because it doesn't have um, a utilit- utilitarian usefulness like, you know, other things. You know, you need a car because it gets you from A to B. You know, we don't need music the way we need doctors. We don't need the arts the way we need, I don't know, lawyers, but we need them and we need the arts for different reasons because we need to feel alive because it's not just about, you know, living. It's about quality of life as well. And I and I wonder whether 
reassessing what we consider valuable is part of us reassessing, especially now, what matters in life and what kind of life are we trying to create and to, trying to create and and not only for ourselves but you know for the people around us children and you know the the generations we we don't live in a vacuum and this this uh pandemic has proved that we don't live in a vacuum even though we all thought especially us in the west that we are just like these invincible people our, our everybody's lives impacts everybody else's whether you know for better or for worse so what kind of lives are we wanting to create within our little bubbles of influence you know yeah I think that's really important because, yeah, no man's an island, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that our actions motivated by our values will always have impact on others. That's just what living on this planet and living in community means. Um, But equally, and you had this as one of the points, like I think it's really important to sometimes be exposed to people with very different values Mm. or even opposing values that really challenge like I find I find that hard but at the same time it's a really good challenge to kind of re-examine my values and where they're coming from Um, Mm. and are they ultimately selfish values Mm. or are they values that will benefit someone beyond myself and even beyond my children um and I always find that our team's quite close-knit and every time we have a vacancy and someone resigns and we're all sad and then that person's gone and we have to refill the role there is this tension of we want someone who fits into the team but equally we want someone who challenges us because Mm -hmm. if you've worked together for a while you have a set way of doing things and you lose some of the innovation Mm. lose some of the thinking outside of the box because because you kind of go through the motions it works you get comfortable and it's really good sometimes to have someone come in from the outside and go but yeah guys how about this or why are you even doing it like that Mm. and I think the same applies for us as people with our values Mm. Mm. and and I mean I have found that not just values sometimes you can have the same values but just think really differently and I have found for example you're one of the people that I find you just think in a different way and I find that really really helpful you know I I think you can have there are opposing values and then there are opposing values you know what I mean um but thinking differently actually it helps to bring a different perspective and we need that otherwise you especially I always say you know creatives we're often I mean I know there are always exceptions but we're often not particularly business-minded and it's why the music industry is run by business-minded people not creative people but that impacts negatively on creatives you know it's like this weird chicken and egg thing well not chicken like um what you call it vicious cycle and so having somebody who thinks in a different way who says you know have you considered that or I wouldn't do it that way is really 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 helpful and so one of the things I um, say is I always find people who are better than you at things. Like I feel in my life, I have people in my life that are absolutely way better at things than me, um, which I need, you know, 
it, it helps um like what's that there's that song by Sierra level up it helps me level up you know just like mm. because you're bringing I mean like I say you've done this for me many times I often um throw things at you I'm like well what do you think about this and you'll bring something that I'm like oh I hadn't thought of that and um that has only benefited me or sometimes you might say something I don't necessarily agree with but it's caused me to rethink and think okay is this the right choice and those are good things you know I think it's important to be to be challenged in our thinking all the time I mean you know no one's perfect and no one's getting it right all the time so I think it's good to to get a different viewpoint because I also feel like sometimes you get so stuck in your own bubble Mm. that it's good if someone comes and questions you Mm. I think values are obviously deeply personal Mm. um and so there's a kind of line of when I would give more personal advice in a way Mm -hmm. because I think some of that has to happen in a context of relationship yeah Yeah. um but I I do think you know it's good to be it's good to be challenged and I I for me um I like to be challenged in the sense that I like to be asked why what my motivation is Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for some of my values Mm -hmm. um and whether they align with like the the principles I have in my life or that I that I claim to apply to my life yeah yeah um that's true it's it's funny I'm like as you're talking I was reminded of um so I have a friend and he's a a ventured capitalist and his his job is I think he's a chief financial officer so you know he'll take all these small startups and then sell them for multi-millions and I um but he likes to support people in the arts and um I thought I need to come and hang out with this guy a bit and just watch how he does that and does life and he does life very differently to me he's someone he he he's very very protective of his time if he says an hour that's exactly what he means um he's almost he's very like um you know he's not someone who wastes his words he's very direct about what he wants and what he's a, he's a, still a very he's a very generous person but he's not um yeah he he's very contained that's the only way I can explain it and anyway I was telling him you know I want to make this my record and 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 he's a numbers guy and I on purpose thought I need to ask this guy and he was grilling me with the numbers and he's like and I said look it's going to cost this much and he's like well how are you going to get the return back and I was like uh uh <laughs> you know I was like mm. you know I'm like but it's art you need you know and obviously he doesn't have a concept of how much yeah. things cost um in terms of paying for musicians and paying for studios but he did make a really valid point he was like he was saying you know when we is it beta test like new some of our like new um tech stuff he's like the tech people always want to make the best version at the best cost and he's saying at the for the for the most amount and he's saying but if you know you're going to make I don't know 60 versions of this thing it's actually a waste of your money if you're not going to see the return so he forced me to think wait a minute do I need to spend this much if, for example, we know it's not like back in the day where people actually bought records. So it made sense to spend, I don't know, a hundred grand. Or I know mm. I know of an artist whose album costs nearly a million pounds. I was like, a nearly a million pounds. Anyway, his his album costs nearly a million. But where is he going to recoup that money? 
And it just got me to think, and I I know if I had spoken to another creative, they would have said, of course, you should spend that money because this is how much artists cost. This is just how much it costs. Um, In the end, I came up with a compromise, but it was just really interesting to talk to somebody like that who just thinks, and he was just very um, pragmatic. There was no emotion in what he was saying, like, this doesn't make any sense. How are you going to get this money back? Business people, business investors want to know how they're going to recoup their costs. It's as simple as that, not whether they just love it for the love of it. And that can feel a bit hard for someone who makes for the love of something. But sometimes you need to hear the flip side of how people make their decisions when you're making your own, you know? I can, yeah, I can totally, that's a really good story. I can relate because we're currently looking at our rates because we're finding we're constantly... um, challenged on our pricing models and actually what we've realized is that we over service a multitude of of clients Mm. and the return is just not there and Mm. actually good enough would be enough and they would be still be happy Mm. and we could increase our profit margin so um i think it's really valuable to to sometimes go good enough is enough and it doesn't have to be more than that because actually I'm not going to get back if I go above and beyond Mm. so I save that time I save that energy I save that money Mm. to then invest in something else that might bring new return or um, better return on my investment Mm. 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 and I think um, that's that thing of learning when to compromise but also not compromising because I think sometimes if you know your big picture and you know your why, so if you are an artist that knows all you really care about is making art, you do not care about um, money at all, at all, at all, at all. That is not your thing. You don't, you, as long as you can live, like just live, then that's all that matters. Then you don't even have to think about these things. You can just make things and that and that is valid. And again, it's why we started this conversation off by saying knowing your why. But if you know that you're trying to build a company, which is what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to build a company. I want to make great music as far as I can, but I also want to build something that's bigger than me making songs. I have to think in these ways and I have to compromise. And I'll, I'll never forget this. Somebody was telling me about this artist he was managing and this artist was, um, kind of very, very talented, but a, a bit upset that they weren't really really famous and at the time there was another artist that was kind of you know very very well known everybody knew who he was the person was winning grammys and this this so i'm i'm not saying names because i'm trying to protect people but um um <laughs> i'm like how do i tell this story so the 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 guy that was managing this other artist said to him if you want to be this famous then you're going to have to have songs that maybe you don't like but you're going to have to have songs that somebody writes for you that are big like pop bangers you know that maybe they're not as sophisticated as you like but they'll hit the mainstream and you'll get known and you'll be famous and this person was like well I don't want to do that and he was like well you're gonna you're gonna have to choose because unless you know Prince people like Prince and Michael Jackson they're unicorns most people aren't like them so in the midst of this if you unless you are like Prince and you have that level of talent um, you're going to assume if you want to be this famous that you're going to have to compromise. You can't have it both ways. And I think part of knowing your why and also being really honest with yourself, if you want to be a megastar, 
then you're going to have to do different things. If you want to just, you know, have a nice house and a mortgage and just live from your work, then it's going to be slightly different. And I think that is that learn to compromise, but also don't compromise if you know what you're what you want to do, you know? Yeah. I think, you know, for me, I feel like the values and our ambitions, they define the past and the circumstances kind of help us refine them. Mm. Um, say that, say that de- again. That was a really good line. I like that. <laughs> our values um, and our ambitions define our path. Yeah. And the circumstances kind of refine that path because life's not linear, is it? And mm. so I feel like, at the core of who we are our values and our ambitions and what we dream of and where we want to go but then they kind of inform also how we deal with what's thrown our way mm-hmm. throughout the course of, of our journey through life and and it's kind of for me my values determine how I react to those things and how I work through those and sometimes my values get refined in that process mm. or values that I'm not even as conscious of they become a lot clearer Mm. and I mean this is very personal but for me going through the breakup of my marriage made me realize the things that are really important in my life like Mm -hmm. integrity Mm -hmm. and honesty Mm -hmm. and really being willing to give it all Mm. but then also to recognize when it's no longer down to me Mm. um but i freely from all of that i've carried away that people who show integrity and people who are honest with me and people who are vulnerable i value them so much in my life Mm -hmm. and that's not something that was ever as obvious to me before that Mm -hmm. and so i think you know circumstances refine the values in us that might not be as obvious Mm. and sometimes they they change the values or they change the ambitions Mm. um I think any parent who you know who once you have kids your ambitions change in some way because they become a really important part um Mm. but equally like for me I've always wanted a career Mm -hmm. I've always said I think I'd be a rubbish stay-at-home parent as much as I love my children Mm. I really thrive on on having something outside of that as well and it took me a long time not to feel guilty about that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and to actually say no but this is an ambition of mine and that doesn't mean I love my children any less Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm. so yeah I I do think the values and our ambitions they drive where we're going like you said you know the why is important so you can make the choices based on those but I also feel like the journey that we're on helps us refine those definitely and I think just growing up like aging (laughs) you know and I don't say that and maybe let me instead of saying aging I'll say maturing because um I remember I, I was listening to Questlove from The Roots and Robert Glasper the piano player talking and they were like when they were in their 20s they wanted to be the best musicians around and Mm. now they're just like we just want to make money (laughs) because their (laughs) priorities are different and the weird thing is I kind of get it I think when you have a family 
your priorities are different. When you're married, your priorities are different. When you're older, I mean, this is so daft, but for example, I can't, I find it very difficult to be in really, really loud places because I think about my ears. I'm like, I need to protect my ears. I need to protect my ears. Whereas in my 20s, find me in the place with the loudest bass with the biggest you know what I mean I was just like with tinnitus the next day and you're like yeah. Yeah. yeah you know next to the speakers that is just like maturity has told me I have friends who've lost some of their hearing um I'm a musician I need my hearing you know I know these are these are silly things but you're as you mature the things you want just are different and that's just a sign of growing up and it's it's and like, like it's life experience, exactly. isn't it? Exactly. Like how you get how you get a lot more scared of a lot more things the older you grow because mm. you know the outcome's not always good. Yeah. And and that this is why it's easier to take risks when you're twenty mm. um, than yeah. it is when you're thirty-five. But um, but let's let's move on to talking about community because I think mm. that's really important. I, I think you were there at the inception of it, but we set up this thing called Make It Happen. We're like a little crew of uh, multi-creatives. We have filmmakers and fashion people and writers and mm. all kinds of people in this group. And the the idea was that um, it's easier to get somewhere when you have a community of people pushing you forward and egging you on. And again, with this idea of, reciprocity within this group of people there are so many skills that we share amongst each other and sometimes you need people to help distill what's in your head or people that you're accountable to or um and I I mean I've it it, it has helped me no end and this has been going on how old are your twins five yeah yeah so it's been because you were pregnant with the twins weren't you yeah although I think we started it was it before then Probably a year before that. Okay. So six years ago. So six years ago, in that we've had people have had career changes, people have set up. We had one person who was starting her arts. She's an art dealer that her company is going. We have had someone who's now works in film as a makeup artist. She switched careers. Yeah. We've had someone who's like a fashion designer and now he teaches fashion business it's like this, you know, we've had somebody that was a, an arts, in fact, Lisa Anderson, she was on episode one who has her um, her uh, company Black British Arts and the Lisa Anderson Arts Advisory. She's part of it. And we're all just trying to, to just drive each other forward and say, look, amongst us, we can do this. Um, yeah. And it kind of actually stemmed from, I watched this film called Brooklyn Boheme about this this sort of crew of creatives that all lived in Brooklyn in the 90s, Spike Lee and... I think one of the Marsalis brothers and uh, the the sax player and and they kind of just well there was like the poet Saul Williams and Erica Badu was there all of these people but what they did they kind of all worked together so you know um Terence Blanchard was writing music for Spike Lee and they were all looking up because they all lived in the same neighborhood and I thought why aren't we doing this in London when everyone is so um fragmented and trying to like hustle by themselves why don't we all just come together and help each other because we'll just get further on if we do and that's that's how that started so I'm a big believer just find your community and help each other you know I I absolutely agree and I also think um I mean, we talk, we had a conversation the other day about teams and what 
size of a team what's the minimum size of a team what's the minimum size of community mm. and we kind of landed on three because you need some what we call cross pollination like you want people to inspire each other and if it's just two people sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't and then you want more people so you can cover your backs if someone ends up off sick or you know um, and they're learning from one another it's easier if there's three and and I think one of the biggest things that we're missing out now in the business world with everyone working remotely is that kind of interaction between members of a team or even from separate teams where you know you have a conversation and you walk away and you go I actually maybe we could do that too or we could do it differently or I like what they're doing I'll speak to my team to see if there is something that we can you know apply from that and I think there is so much value in collaboration and in just being exposed to other people's way of working other people's opinions other people's careers like I've really benefited from the making it happen group mm. in the way that it's given me a much bigger appreciation of I guess the artistic struggle in some way mm -hmm. um, but also the talent that's out there and the the way people go about it and the way people work really hard to achieve something mm -hmm. and I found that if not practically applicable to my career I've just found it hugely inspiring mm, that's nice to hear that's really nice to hear and I think I know what it has done for me is um you know being an artist is really hard work <laughs> so you have to know yeah. You have to know that this is what you want to do. I remember someone saying to me, yeah. they were quoting something that their dad said to them. They said, you know, perseverance will get you further than talent. And mm. being an artist, the, the creative side is wonderful. But all the other things that go along with it, all the stuff, the hustling, all of that kind of stuff can be very tiring and sometimes you just yeah. need people go saying, you can do it. Or somebody doing something great that inspires you, that makes you think, oh my gosh, I can do this too. And so I'm a big believer in surrounding yourself with people. Also, because no man is an island and we have to get over this, this idea that we all just make it by ourselves. It's, abs it's utter nonsense. And um, yeah. it takes so many people I always say I love to stay for credits at the end of films because you realise how many people it took to make a yeah. film that you might only see a few people in. And, and those are just the ones that are credited. It just takes so many people to make something happen. And, and um, the support, sometimes you just need moral support. You need someone to say, no, keep going. Or someone to yeah. say... Uh, why don't you just do one thing first and then do this next thing or someone you know we'll put we often put in that me in our group you know I'm looking for I don't know a makeup artist does anyone know someone or does anybody know a lawyer or a, you know does anybody know someone that knows this or we share work opportunities and resources yeah absolutely and I just it really does take the pressure off because we are you know going forward together when you're just feeling like, oh my gosh I just can't do this anymore this is just too long it's too hard <laughs> or, yeah and I think yeah. just a validation of it sometimes no it's for someone to go I know it's hard yeah absolutely like I hear you 
absolutely and i think sometimes that's enough mm-hmm. all that you know that that people all of you lot that come to my gigs and just make loads of noise in the back <laughs> you know it's just like <laughs> you know like well they, at least they bought some tickets and i will say also in terms again of just value what i really am think is really important if people are your friends and you know how tricky it is for them to make a living off their art don't ask them to do stuff for free I really I'm like if you're my friend and I know it's hard for you I'm going to pay you um sometimes of course I know we do mates rates but because you have friends and you know how hard it is don't don't ask them to do stuff for you for free I just like don't do that you can do share services or like do the reciprocal you know skills sharing but don't just always get free freebies from your mates because I just think then we're perpetuating the the issue devaluing their skill exactly exactly let us move on to the last one I like to call it just do it what would you say to just do it that's the best tagline ever made, yes. made loads of money <laughs> whoever came up with that yeah speaking in advertising terms um yeah I think just do it it's it's important that you just get on with it and I think the older I am like we just talked about the harder it becomes sometimes mm-hmm. to step out of your comfort zone or to, I don't know, to just do it. But I, we've talked about this before, but I've recently started training with a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's one of those just do it things. Mm-hmm. Like one of the values I really want to instill in my children is that exercise is part of our lifestyle mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I didn't grow up with that. And while I did, sports when I was a teenager and then into my early 20s it just never became part of who I was and mm-hmm. part of my life mm-hmm. and I I really miss it um and so I decided actually if, if if that's something I want to instill in my children then I need to lead the way and I need to show them and I just need to bite the bullet and start training after not having done anything for about a decade um and you know I'm terrified but I just feel like nothing worth having comes without a bit of a fight um and the day where we lose appreciation for those things is a sad day um I want them to understand it costs me something I want them to understand that it's not easy um but I want them to see that the benefits of it are really great. Mm. And that's something that they can have too. Mm. And it's funny because two things from what you said just stuck stick into my mind is actually it's building resilience. Mm. And starting with what you have in your hand, I think sometimes we think that, you know, sometimes we think, okay, I'm going to do this when I have this much money, this all of these things in place that is when I'm going to do it and sometimes the only way to do it is just to start now to start with what do I have in my hand right now if it is you know I don't know two loaves of bread then I'll make sandwiches even though really what I want to do is 
you know, I don't know, be this incredible chef or have a catering business, whatever, business or whatever. And it's like you just start. I remember I started doing gigs in my living room because I didn't have the courage to do all these big open mic things. So I thought, look, I'll just do it in my living room. I'll invite my friends. They'll clap even if it's rubbish and I'll feel safe because it's at home. And that's how it started, you know. And so like with exercise, with just being resilient and saying sometimes things, things are hard. Life is hard, man. It just is. Um, But the rewards, the rewards that come from pushing for something, there is nothing like it. And I'm sort of going to end with it's it shouldn't sound morbid but I guess it kind of is but it kind of ties everything together for me just about valuing people and and um creating community so the the when I started doing gigs in my living room it was I somebody introduced me to a bass player this bass player became a really really good friend of mine and his name was Ian Mm. and um you know, you you met him and he was one of the first people just, just took yeah. a liking to me and said yes. And it was like, yeah, sure, I'll come and play. And we became really close friends. He's played on, you know, some of my recordings that are, you know, released. And to cut a long story short, he got, he was diagnosed with bowel cancer. He'd always wanted to climb Mount Everest. He became the first man with cancer to climb Mount Everest. And um, he did it against, really against all the odds. No one would insure him. He had some knee issues. He had cancer, but he climbed this mountain. And I remember when he, you know, he'd returned and he was dying. And two days before he died, we were having one of those, this is our last conversation kind of moments. And I remember he looked at me and he said, Matsy, I really, I want you to be happy. And I said, yes, yes, Toots. We called him Toots. And then he said, and I want you to pursue your dreams. Go after your music. Promise me you'll do it. And he really looked at me in that way that I said, if I say yes, I have to do this. And he said, just go after it. I used to say he was from Sheffield. He used to say, get after it, get after it. And I was like, okay. And I realized, you know, (laughs) he's such a funny guy. But he, for me, you know, he passed away, I think, maybe two, two or so, two years ago. But he was such an example of someone who lived their life to the fullness and he lived his life full of risk and yes you know he um he he didn't live a long life but my god he lived it he crossed Iceland by himself he was just he just went for it and I just thought you know what I have one life and as far as I can I'm going to go and and pursue the things that I I believe I'm here on this earth to do um, and and do it with as many people as possible and create as many beautiful experiences as possible. And yes, it's hard, but the reward um, and the fruit and the relationships I've gained and the stuff that I get to do with such wonderful people makes it worth it. And then if I have my wobbles, I speak to people like you or I speak to my friends, they're like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And And that's what we're doing it for and it's it's amazing and and at least I can say I feel alive my life is not boring it can be really hard but it's definitely not boring Mm. I think you know that's a really good closing thing because if 2020 has shown us anything that then that life's really precious and it can be over in no time Mm. and for me it's certainly kind of hit home that I want to be generous Mm. I don't want to be wasteful but I want to be generous with the resources I have I want to be generous with the time that I have with Mm. you know the gifts I have Mm. because 
because I I want to make sure that I have given as much as I I could. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because who knows? I mean, I'm sitting here on my sofa in lockdown, and we don't know how long we're going to stay here. And while I miss my community, I feel like there are still so many ways to give and so many ways to kind of live out my values, mm. even when I feel there's limitations on it it's never impossible mm-hmm. well that's a great way to end Ramona Harris thank you for your time and your insight and your generosity thank you you're most welcome all right love you bye bye thank you so much to Ramona I hope there were some useful things that we shared that can help you in some way because you guys are part of the very community I spoke about at the top of this episode I've been receiving some wonderful messages from people about how the podcast is inspiring them, which is really encouraging. You know, all the guests I invite on are people whose work inspires me, and the very purpose of this podcast is central to my why. I also want to give a little shout out to the Make It Happen crew, the group of creatives Ramona and myself are part of. At some stage, I should take the time to feature them and their work, but there are so many of us that it might take some time. What I think connects us all is the firm belief that we go further together. It's also just way more fun. So I'd love to hear how you're navigating your creative process. Send me a message on Twitter, Instagram or SoundCloud, where you can also leave comments in the episodes themselves. And by now, you know, Holding Up the Ladder is available on all the major podcast platforms. Please share, like, subscribe to the podcast. You can also donate. Just click the link below and you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at holding up the ladder, hashtag H-U-T-L. Next week, which will be our last episode before the Christmas break, we're talking music, the UK versus US music industry, singing with Stevie Wonder and my personal hero of heroes, Quincy Jones, with former student of mine, singer-songwriter, Daly. The host is like, oh, before you go, Daly, we've got a caller. I'm like, oh, okay. And it's like, okay, putting it through now. And, um, and this weird, like, British accent was like, hello, Daily. <laughs> and this is like live on air. And I'm just like, oh, hi, you know. And he's like, do you remember me from London? We was in a band together. And I'm, I'm just thinking, oh, who's this weirdo? I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to play along and just sort of, you know, style it out because this is live on radio. I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah. Oh, what's your name again? And I was just totally confused. And then all of a sudden, just the tone in the voice started to sound really familiar. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and it just dawned on me. And then I remembered it's his station. And I looked at the host of the show and she was like looking at me as if like, yeah, have you got it? Yeah. So I just on air, I'm just like, oh my God, this is Steve, this is Stevie. And yeah, um, it was just a very surreal moment. And he, he just asked me on air if I would come and perform with him at this, um, he was doing like a charity concert at the Staples Centre and I was just like I had a show I was supposed to fly back to the UK the day before it to do a show in Birmingham mm-hmm. and I was just like sorry Birmingham yeah Stevie <laughs> shows off. <laughs> yeah, shows sorry. off sorry until next time <laughs>